Hey, what's going on? It's Todd. It's Jimmy. And this is Every Playlist Tells a Story Christmas Edition. Jingle bells, jingle all the way. That's right. Christmas Day. Hope you're uh, doing something festive. Family, friends. And we're just another gift underneath the tree here. Just just another gift under the tree. That's right. That's right. Uh, Before I forget, Spotify for the songs, Facebook. Twitter, Instagram, email us, every playlist tells a story at gmail.com. And of course, if you're listening on something where you can subscribe, rate, please do so. That would be awesome. What's going on, Jim? How's your week been? Anything good? I, well, I, last week I had a colonoscopy. Yes. Yeah. You talk about a good week. Yeah. Um, a lot of fun prepping for that. It, it was my virgin one. Oh, okay. My virgin one. Um, yeah. It, it was, you know, I wasn't as bored, but sore as I thought it was going to okay, be. Okay, well, that's good. I've, yeah. I've got to get mine scheduled. So, uh, two polyps. Doctor said, you know, didn't think there's anything. Okay, anything there to worry about? Right. Um, su- suggested more fiber. You know, <laughs> of course. Uh, he said next time, you know, I'll probably uh, give you a couple more days of, you know, laxative uh, activity. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. So, you know. I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a pro by no means. So, so for anyone that's not done this, uh, more or less me and just trying to figure out what I'm getting into, is there anything to be worried about? Is it, I mean, is the hardest part, the fasting and the stuff you got to drink or whatever it is. The hardest part is getting your mind set that you're not going to be eating. Okay. You know, it was, uh, I had my last, like the procedure was, Wednesday morning, so I had to, my last meal was Monday night. Okay. And Make you, a big batch of Jello. I was going to say, did you go hard on that last meal, or did you just do what you normally do? Uh, upped it a little bit, you know, okay. a right. little bit. I didn't go to the buffet or anything. Right. But, um, yeah, so once you eat, it's like, all right, that's it. You know, you're going to eat some Jello and some broth. I think that's all you can have. Jello and broth. Jello and broth. For a day. Broth. The and, day before. Yeah. And. Uh-huh. The toughest, and that's not even the toughest part. The toughest part is that you, is that you really, you have to get up like at, like if you have a morning appointment, like mine was at 9.30 is when the procedure is going to happen. So I had to get up at 2.30, take uh, another dose of, you know, the, the cleanser, cleanser and get up again at, I think 4.30, 5.30 and do it again. Oh, wow. And, um. Just pumping it in you. And you're just going. Yeah. I mean, you're just busy with it. Right. All the way up till showtime. Okay. Yeah. It was. um, Showtime. Yeah. That was the roughest part. That not getting any sleep at night. You really aren't going to get a good night's sleep. Right. If you have it uh, in the morning. But they give you you that knockout juice. How's Uh, that knockout stuff? It took less than a minute. Once they, I don't know what they gave me. Yeah, but I, all I remember is I said, "Man, that hits quick," and <laughs> man, that hits quick. And then I was I was gone. I I wasn't there for any of it. Next thing I know, I'm like dreaming, and I wake up, and okay. I'm in the I'm I'm with Cat in the recovery. All right, and you know everything was fine. Okay, well, yeah. good. Yeah, it was it was weird because I was dreaming that, um. I, we were at a concert like the we were at like um deer creek or you know outdoor yep. amphitheater yep. up in indy and 
we were at like the B stage, the side stage, one of those, you know. Okay. You know, and the band Republica was playing. You and I were there. Yes. It was summer. It was hot. It was like Ozfest type okay. day, you know. And, you know, they were cranking their hit song. We're ready to go. Ready to go. And we were in the middle of that. And that's what I woke up to. And, um, was and I, I wearing was I wearing like a big top hat and goggles like the nineties rave kids? No, you were sweating. Just sweating. Just sweating, no hat. God. Just you know probably bitching. Brown skin and yeah. you know, sweat and yeah. nasty. Yeah. It was a and uh, that hot ass field B stage. But they were going they were going out of Republica. Yeah. And now I woke up and just a drug induced, you know, <laughs> haze. Trying to explain this dream I was having. Right, yeah. And unfortunately, my wife caught that on video. Yes, she did. She sent it to me. She sent it to you. Yes, yeah, it was, well. It was... Oh, there was during. Anything cool? That was uh, the heavy, heavy metal concert. Heavy metal concert. <laughs> Is it a good one? Um. Actually, it's a band that sung uh, Ready to Go. Sing what? It was a 90s song, Ready to Go. I'll swear it to you later. <laughs> Some results of the show with Todd. Was it at Robert Stadium? No, it was outdoor. It took me, it took about 20 minutes of watching and rewatching to figure out what the hell you were talking about. But then I heard Ready to Go and I heard <laughs> 90s. Right. Yeah, I think but it I threw said, me because you said we were at a heavy metal, fe- heavy metal festival. It, I mean, I, I thought I was at Ozfest. Right. But Republica was there. Right. So it couldn't have been heavy, a heavy metal show. Yeah, you never know. But they're kind of heavy. Yeah, they I mean, got, they, they got, aren't the most. Yeah. yeah, they took that Savage Garden template of dance rock and kind of upped it a notch. Yeah. So, yeah, she sent me that video and I watched it. And it, like I said, it took about 20 minutes to figure out what you were talking about. And then once I figured it out, I was like, shit. And I was kind of hooked on that song. Yeah. And so. Uh, when you played that, you, you, yeah. Todd played that song like, okay, this is going to be my song for next week. And I was like. What? It's, I mean, the coincidence of it was awfully uh, right. suspicious. It, what's funny is I uh, I was listening to it the other day. And like I said, I've kind of been on a tear with it. And uh, I was listening to it on my way to the store. So I was painfully aware when I was pulling out of my neighborhood that I was probably playing it way too loud in my car. But I really <laughs> didn't care. Wow, it's a cool song. But when it really kicked in was when I was sitting at a stoplight and we live in, I don't, I don't want to say it's, we're not out in the sticks, but it's kind of a, you're out in the sticks. Are you kidding? It's kind of rural, but I go to town to go to the Walmart. Yeah. But how far is the Walmart? Oh, it's four miles. Really? Yeah. Four back miles. roads though. Oh yeah. Back roads. Yeah. Back roads and you pop out on main roads. But when I became painfully aware of it is when I was sitting at a stoplight and, uh, you know, big old four-wheel drive, freaking truck pulls up next to me. No disrespect, love the rednecks, but, you know, this is redneck country, and I'm sitting there in my little Kia Soul rocking ready to go. It was warm enough to have the windows down a little bit. 
That's a Kia. It's a Kia Soul. I did not realize that. Oh, yeah, Kia Soul. You know, you used to make fun of the guy we worked with that drove a Kia. Yeah. And here you are. It comes around, man. In the middle of your hypocrisy. Comes around. Wow. Paying for my sins. (sighs) But anyway, so I'm sitting at the stoplight. Big old redneck truck pulls up next to me. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I'm going to look over at these guys and I'm just going to smile. You know what's worse than looking over at two guys in a big old redneck jacked up truck rocking ready to go by Republic in your car? Looking over and seeing two chicks driving a big old redneck truck looking at you rocking. Oh, my God. <laughs> ready to go by Republica. <sighs> and were they looking at you? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. I got the, were they shaking their heads I, or just I, You know what? It was just one of those it was uh, instant shame and I just kind of looked away. It was, it was a shame <laughs> slash I don't care because I didn't turn it down. I just kept. I was ready to go. Uh, Shouting it from the rooftop. I, I tip, if, I, if the windows are down, I typically lower the volume out of shame. I usually do, but you just, I was in one of those where you're listening to it and you're, you're in the groove and you just pull up and you just don't think about it. Lights getting ready to change, whatever. I don't care. They got you. So, but yeah. But you were conscious enough to know that. I was conscious enough that, you know, big old redneck track. And I thought, you know, I'm going to take a look and just kind of see what kind of, see what kind of response I might be getting from these gentlemen in this truck. And I looked up and two chicks. Like, yeah. Okay. I'm the jackass. Made them question why they moved out in the sticks first place for these I, Kia drivers. Right, yeah. Could be. Could be. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah, all right. Yeah. That's what makes makes America great, doesn't that's it? What, that's what makes America great. All right. So yeah, that was my that was my funny little story from your Republica dream. I'm just man, I'll I tell you what, I, more than anything I'm touched that I was part of your dream. That, that's that, crazy that's as a very that uncomfortable sentence for me. <laughs> it's a, it's a dream, Jimmy. It's all a dream. It was very vivid. I, I think it was the drugs, honestly, they gave me. All right, so what do you you go back once a year for this this procedure? Is that the deal? I'll be back uh, to get it uh, done in three years. Oh, okay. So it's and, not an annual. You know, I work with older guys and that had done several times, and they said that's a good sign that okay. they want you back in three years because that is, means there's yeah, nothing, nothing there nothing to worry wonky. about. Good. Yeah. So, yeah, I recommend it for anybody that hits that milestone in their life, the yeah. half-century mark. Yeah. Supposed um, to, supposed to, I, it seems like I've heard, too, maybe they've even upped it to 45, maybe. I don't know. Well, it kind of depends if there's a history in your family. Okay. You know, okay. Some people have had it done, you know, when, they're, when they hit 40. Yeah. It's because there's a history. Right. Uh, so... It all depends. All right. Well, I hope I hope my adventure with it is as pleasant as yours. Just be prepared. You're you're golden once you get in that operating room. Yeah. I mean, that's when the you know you know it's about over. Right. Yeah. But you gotta you gotta have your mind right. It's like driving to Atlanta or something. You know? Right. You gotta have your mind right for it. Okay. All right. Uh. Moving on, I I know last week we talked about, I ran across some article with Angus Young from ACDC talking about the most defining ACDC record. Found another article this week talking about the song that they most regretted and the song that would best describe their sound. Can I guess the most regretted one? Yes, you can. I'm going to say Go Zone off Blow Up Your Video. Nope. Uh, I'm going to say... It's a song, I will say this. It's a it's an old 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 song, so it's, and it's a song I was never familiar with until I looked it up. So you're talking Bon Scott, Bon Scott. <sighs> I 
right, so you're saying old, old, like before... Like first they, record old. So you're talking like the Australian albums? Yes. Okay, all right, so probably a high voltage. Oh, wow. So is it, was it high voltage or TNT? I don't remember for sure. Because the want, high voltage, I want to like, say high voltage. But okay. I'm not... The one where the dog's pissing on the uh, yeah. I don't know that I electrical rem- box. I don't know that I remember reading what record it was from. I'm sure it said it, but I just kind of skipped over it. What was that one? Oh, Gene. It was kind of like a ballad. Yes. It's like he's he's singing about some girl named Jean. I think I think we're talking. It's called Love Song. Yeah, that's, I think I said. Yeah. Is that the was, one? Yeah, that's the one. I could see that. And he talked about he talked in the article I read about they were basically being pressured that hey everybody's doing ballads and you got to do this and this is the this is going to be the single and i found it on spotify on the back i think it's backtracks acdc backtracks which is a bunch of old live and demo compilation stuff and it sounds like your typical early 70s ballady kind of hippie-ish it doesn't sound like acdc no it's it's hokey it's hokey to the core so it it, it seems kind of forced yeah so when I was when I was looking it up, um, the, some of the notes I found on it was that when it was sent to the radio stations, uh, they opted to play the B side, which was the baby, please don't go. <laughs> oh, really? And made it a hit. Yeah, because they didn't play; they just wouldn't play the love song because it just it wasn't right. I'll be dang. So they uh, they played the B side, made it a hit. So baby, please don't go becomes a hit for them. And of course, baby, please don't go. Traditional blues song. Looked into it because it's one of those songs that you've heard a million times by a million different people, and uh, obviously popularized by the Delta Blues music musician Big Joe Williams in 1935. Big Joe. This song has been labeled as one of the most played, arranged, and rearranged pieces in blues history. Uh, by the early 50s, 1950s, became a blues standard with artists such as Muddy Waters recording it and playing it live. 1964, the group Them, featuring Van Morrison, a young 19-year-old Van Morrison, on vocals recorded it. Side note, uh, studio guitar player by the name of Jimmy Page. Oh, he played on that. Played guitar on that. Oh, wow. Yeah. I remember hearing the Van Morrison version. Yep. And uh, the song Baby Please Don't Go has been inducted into the Blues Hall of Fame as well as the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And then it was obviously released. It was on the 74 Jailbreak. Yeah, that's my favorite version. Yeah. But Ted, I remember Ted Nugent had one. I think Ted Nugent with the Amboy, it was the, the Amboy Dukes. It was early on. The, yeah, it was early. Yeah. He did a version of it. Tons and tons of versions of it. Yeah. It's a great song. But ACDC's is the best just because it has that breakdown. Yeah. There at the, at, right in the middle where Hank is his guitar and Bond are kind of just yep. talking back to each other. Yep. So I thought that was interesting that, you know, what was supposed to be their big breakout hit, the radio stations played the B side. Made that the hit, and it was "Please Don't Go." Yeah, that's that's happened several times in history. Yeah, I remember uh, Rod Stewart's "Maggie May" was a B side. Was it really? Every pitcher tells a story. No kidding. Yeah, and they just turned it around, and that became the bigger hit. Right. Yeah. It's a great song. Yeah. Uh, the song that Angus says best describes ACDC sound: "Riff Raff." Great song. Yeah. Uh, and then he said, you know, it might even, it's either Riff Raff or Thunderstruck would be the, were the two that he named. Everybody knows Thunderstruck. Yeah. Riff Raff is a great, 
Angus song. I mean, yeah, it's a guitar. Yeah, it's a good Angus song. I went back and, and watched the video, and it's just freaking amazing. It's just so it's so much fun to watch. I had a dream about that song too. Oh yeah. Well, years ago, it was. I was at a concert, a Hank Williams Jr. concert, Roll right. Yeah. And he starts playing a riff rap. Okay. I was just like, that's well, kind of odd for him to play an ACDC song, but it sounded good. And he starts, like, he goes out into the um, audience. Did he fly out like Paul Stanley? No, he didn't fly out. He just walked on out. Just walked on walked out. Walked on out. And he was singing, and he came up. We were like, sit, sat down, and he came up close to us, and he winked at us. No. And, and I realized it wasn't Hank Williams. It was my brother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, man, that's, that's Todd. Oh, my. I was watching Hank Williams. I mean, you know how dreams are. They're nuts. Well, yeah. Starts off with Hank Williams, comes out to the crowd. Hank throws you a wink and then turns into your brother-in-law. Yeah, I was just like, I, when he winked, I was just like, he was fooling everybody. Because right. he does have kind of a Bo Sipas, okay, you know, aura about him gotcha. anyway. So, gotcha. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. So, yeah, riffraff. I like that. Uh, moving on to my TikTok find of the week. Man, I have found a gem. Uh, so, I pulled it up, and I looked at the name, and it is at... O G D P. Interesting. OG, Acronym for something though. Like original gangster DP. Deep and, purple? Uh yeah, I don't I don't know. Double play. It could be anything. Could okay. be anything. All right. But I'll tell you what, man, this thing, you remember those evil Knievel wind up motorcycles? You oh, I had, had one. Yeah, yeah, had one too. Probably had several of them because I kept tearing them up. This dude, this OG DP on TikTok is nothing but him winding up this motorcycle and jumping shit. Okay. And it goes to slow motion, really? and there's music behind it. It's beautiful. <laughs> it is beautiful. This this is the kind of shit I can waste my time on TikTok watching. Okay, because I will watch I will watch the videos five, six, ten times in a row, just because it's it's glorious. Wow. So, okay. Yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. Exactly. So, OGDP on the O TikTok. If you want to see some kick ass evil Knievel toy stunt shit. Bring back your youth there a little ah, bit. That's awesome. It's so good. It's so good. And then uh last thing I got for uh my opening notes here is this will be my final Christmas song pick of the week. Okay. I'm going strong with this one. This is the this, this finale. Is, this is finale of this year. And I'm going strong with it. And I went back and forth on it. I've got a list of them, but this this one just felt right. I'm going with All I Want for Christmas by Mariah Carey. Oh. It's completely God. overplayed. Uh, you know, as the number one most hated song on my list. Yeah, number one? No, uh, number one by far. Really? Oh, I just couldn't. It is just, no. No. You just, I'm, I'm, throwing it, 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 I'm throwing it on there. And and I'm like you. I, I spent many years freaking hating the song, but I just kind of came to terms with it, embraced it. And some other things I found is uh, there's a My Chemical Romance version of it that's not bad. If the Mariah Carey is just a little too cotton candy for you. Cotton candy. I don't know if that's the right word. If I go to hell, I guarantee that Satan is going to put me in a straitjacket, throw me in a room, and just blare that thing for eternity. Well, with any luck, he will play the uh, Mariah Manson mashup. All I want for Christmas is the beautiful people. Oh, man. Have you seen that? No. It is fantastic. 
I, it is the beautiful people with all the. Oh, all it's more from, Manson, right? Or is, it's it's or Manson, beautiful people singing, and then the music from All I Want for Christmas, bells ringing, shit like that, and the, as the music. So Mariah's the music, Manson's the singing, and there's some Mariah singing in there too. But it's glorious. Man, you picked the cheesiest Christmas songs. You know it. Yeah. And you get the Wham last Christmas. I go with what I go with what touches me, man. Ah. <sighs> I wouldn't want that. I learned, I learned a long okay. time ago, man. You can fight it all you want, but if it if it reaches you, it reaches you. And I'll stand by it. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, you're you're the two chicks in the truck are looking at you, you know. So whatever. <laughs> if, you're, if you can deal with it, deal with it. That's, yeah, I can deal with it. All I, right. can, I can do it. What do you got? You got anything good this week? You know, I thought with the year end. Um, um, on this episode, I wanted to count down my favorite movies of the past decade. Past decade. Past decade, because you know, twenty ten to twenty twenty. Well, I'm I'm one of the few who believe that the you know Anno Domini or the year of the Lord began with year one. Okay. I'm I, I'm not a zero AD guy, so I think twenty twenty one is the beginning of a new decade. Gotcha. Um, and and the way this year has went with the virus, I, ridiculous. Leave it in the last decade, you know. So, you know, now as far as my top 10 movies of the last decade, I have to say I'm, I'm an action, adventure, comedy, horror movie guy. Right. You know, you won't, you won't get any romantic rom-com. No drama, rom-coms? No yeah. drama movies on my list. I mean, some, I guess some of them are dramas, but they're more action. Uh, you know, there's enough drama in the world. I don't need to go to the movies and see it. Sure. Um, <clears throat> but, um, you know, when I was thinking about my list... You know, I, I had a revelation. Comedies have disappeared. I've I've thought about this. You can't do. I I think it is in this environment of political correctness. Everybody gets offended. You can't you can't do stuff that you used to. You know, I just recently went on a tear. One of the you know movie channels had a run of American Pie, American Pie Two. Mm-hmm. American Wedding, Reunion. I mean, I watched like four of them in a row. You can't do that shit no more. People get freaked out. Hangover. Why do you think that is? You think it's because social media and people I, yeah, being offended I, I, so easily? Yeah, I think it's just people get offended. I mean, it's I've I've always maintained I, I don't get offended very easily. You can, you know. I think it just... It just it invites people to act that I, way. You think so? Whereas before they didn't have... It wasn't a, a a channel for them to express that right. offensive um, feeling towards something, because it's always had to been there. Yeah, I get, I get, I I don't know. I I still maintain. I've probably said this before. I think social media is the devil in that it makes everybody think. I'll say this: everybody's entitled to their opinion, and I have no problem with that. You, if if something bothers you, you have every right to speak out about it. But what I have a problem with is. There's no consequence. People feeling like their opinion is the only opinion that matters and supersedes everybody else's. I think we've all forgotten that. Live and let live. Yeah, I can be hurt by something, but if it, you know, if it doesn't bother somebody else, and then they should, you know. And of course, there are limits to it. I mean, anything that hurts anybody or stuff like you know, hate speech and stuff. I'm not big on, but you know, comedy wise. To me, a joke's always been a joke. 
Well, if you can't laugh at yourself, you're right, or understand where they're coming from, right? You know? it, but uh, the problem is, there's no consequences for giving an opinion that oh, doesn't this... need to be said. Yeah, I mean, you could say it, but on, on social media, there's no. But you got to be okay with saying it and, and being okay with nobody cares that that's your opinion. And I think people get offended that it's too easy to say care. that stuff. Because if you had to say it to somebody's face, oh god, no. you'd have a harder. You probably wouldn't do it. Yeah, I saw it, I saw some meme that you know the only difference in voicing your opinion twenty years ago versus now is there's nobody punching you in the mouth for saying something. Yeah, you know what I mean. Exactly. And there's it's too easy to just rattle off whatever. So yeah, and I wonder if that's the reason why it's just maybe movies movie companies yeah. can't take that risk anymore. I guess there's I too mean, much I'm, money online. I'm sure people have been you know with. With movies and music and comedy and everything else over the years, I'm sure people have been offended by stuff that's been done and said, but you just don't support it. You don't go see the movie. You don't listen to the records. You don't whatever. That's that's how you fight that. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah. Know. Well, and, like, and my problem is once you start it, where does it stop? You're right. Yeah. You I know. mean, it. Uh, it's, I mean, like Cleveland Indians, you know, they're getting rid of their yeah. team name. The team, team name they've had for, I think. I saw 114 years. Wow. The Indians, you know, it's going away. Redskins are already Yeah, gone. Redskins are gone. So where does it stop? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Kansas City Chiefs, you know. Right. Yeah, I think the only people, I don't even know if the, the tribes, from what I've read, are the least offended. It's the people that think they should be offended. Right. That are making the noise. Yeah. And that's just insanity. It, if that's true, that's crazy. Yeah. All um, right. So back to your movie. We're, anyway, we're, yeah, we're, so. we're, we're going off. <sighs> okay. Let's just get to the top 10. Top 10 movies of the last decade for Jimmy. Yeah. All right. Starting at number 10, I'm going with They Shall Not Grow Old, a Peter Jackson movie. Uh, do you know about this one? I have no idea. It's uh, Peter took, Jackson, is he the Hobbit guy? It, the Hobbit, no, Lord, of the Lord of the Rings. Rings okay. The movies you haven't seen. Haven't seen them. Um, he uh, took all this footage from. Uh, World War One footage on the ground, you know, at the battlefields, you know, at you know where the soldiers were, and uh, ran it through computers to, um, you know, mesh it the, all together, you know, to try to get a, you know, a two-hour film together, and and basically got all the written diaries and of the soldiers that were in the war and they talked on top of all this footage and oh wow it was a, yeah, so it a was documentary type deal a documentary type deal it, it was amazing how they just the idea of how they put that all together took all this footage and and um you know a lot of it were photos and uh you know they basically you know made it put it in motion yeah uh it was it was and amazing did you say it was world war one world war one yeah okay. all this footage from then so you know, it, it, one of the things he said about it was kind of funny is that, you know, the cameras they used were on a handle. You know, they had to rotate. Oh, the hand crank thing. Hand yeah. crank yeah. thing. So the, the toughest part was that the speed was never. Never consistent. Consistent. Yeah. So to get that consistency it took a lot of work with oh, computers, yeah. you know, to get it just to because you know, like be a, on the same way. Because if, if somebody's shooting, I would imagine, a, a two-minute length of something with that hand crank thing that's two minutes of adjusting slowing it down speeding it up to get it to flow correctly flow correctly wow. yeah yeah so you got it all digitized and yeah, it was it was a very interesting movie but you know i 
the last decade is dominated by superheroes. Right. I, I don't think there's any, you know, category of movies that was str- the stronger than. Right. Than, and so a lot of them, you know, I, I go right into it with number nine. My my childhood hero, Shazam. It's okay. Not the most groundbreaking movie, I, but I was so happy to see Shazam get a movie finally. I remember being aware of Shazam when I was a kid, but I still have not watched the movie, and it's been on a ton. You, is it recommended? It's I fun. guess it's on your list. It's recommended. This time of year, especially, because yeah. it was kind of based in the wintertime. Okay. Uh, and it was based around Christmas time. So this time of year is a great time to watch it. All right. It's a fun movie. Add Shazam to the list. Yeah, it's got a lot of laughs. Uh, number eight, Deb, Deadpool 2. Ryan Reynolds, a lot like Robert Downey Jr., I think he's found his calling as yeah. an actor. Agree. He is perfect for that role. Number seven, Thor Ragnarok. Ragnarok was fun because it it was I don't know what you're gonna say about it, but for me it was it wasn't as taken as serious as the other Marvel ones. It was kind of hokey. Oh yeah, yeah, it was great. I mean, you get Jeff Goldblum and they play Led Zeppelin's "Immigrant Song" twice in the movie. Right. That's all you need to know, yeah. really. Yeah, it just it's fantastic movie. It was a lighter side of the heroes. Lighter side, yes. yeah. And like I said, I'm. Not in the drama. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of that kind of movies on this list. Uh, Number six, Doctor Strange. Benedict Cumberbatch nails Doctor Strange. And I'm glad they waited to get it right uh, to do a movie on that Marvel character because that's a very difficult comic. That's one. That's probably one of two Marvel movies that I've not seen. I've, I've watched like the first 30 minutes of it and then got pulled away so yeah it's very probably one of the deeper characters yeah. as far as uh, the possibilities with right. what his you know what you know, what his powers are so but uh, bandit cumberbatch just was perfect for uh dr strange uh number five captain america the first one 2011 hell hydra oh the original when he becomes the origin story the origin story yeah okay yeah Fun movie, great. It's a good one. Yep. Number four, Guardian of the Galaxies, Volume Two. Really? Yeah. Michael Rooker, Jean Du, fantastic. He you steals know, the show. You know, my favorite part of that is that Mary Poppins reference. Oh, I mean, Jean Du was—he's <laughs> awesome in that. And I was so bummed what happened to him at the end. Yeah. See, yeah. that's and and I didn't like two as much as I liked one. Two was just—I don't know—it seemed too heavy for me with the whole father oh. storyline. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I said, I, the whole I'm Mary Poppins. Oh, one's great. great. One's great. But if right. I had to pick between, the only difference between is Yondu. Okay. Michael Rooker. He finally, he was always kind of under the radar. You know, yeah. He was in Mallrats. So yeah, he's been in a ton of stuff. Uh, and um, The Walking Dead. Uh-huh. He played Merle. Merle, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but he really shined in this one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was okay. great. And that's, what, that's why I rank it so high. Number three, the first Avengers movie uh, came out in 2012. Just, oh, where they all kind of got together, and that's when the, the it, aliens came through the hole. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Was, that's a fun. It was a fun battle. That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, number two, Darkest Hour. Gary Oldham as Winston Churchill. Never saw it. Nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. Huge Gary Oldham fan. Okay. Ever since... Um, Fifth Element? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not, uh, yeah, well, yeah, okay. That one was a little hokey. I give you that, but you know, like uh, you know, Bram Stoker's Dracula, right? And uh, oh, I'm missing what, what was the uh, one, the Twin Peaks uh, creator? He had a movie. Oh, 
Wow. Yeah, the uh, really can't fire walk movie. with me. Is that the Twin Peaks movie? Well, who who wrote Twin Peaks? Oh, uh, I can't think of his name. Uh, Blue Velvet. Blue, yeah, so, yeah, I know. Who you're but he had a movie where Odlum was a. I don't know if was he a drug dealer. I forget what he was, but it's just the intensity of that character. Okay, he's a very intense guy. Yes, well, like the professional. Have you seen that yeah, one? Yeah, the professional is great. Yeah, well, he's took the popples pills and crack yeah. his neck back and. Uh-huh. Wow, he's very interesting. But my number one, number one of the past ten years, nineteen seventy, nineteen seventeen, another World War One movie. Just watch that. Is not is it not incredible how they filmed that? That is insane. Yes, it, it was like thirty minutes, and I'm like, man, this is all one continuous shot. Yeah, it is ridiculous. The entire movie is one continuous shot. I, it, it is just, wonderful. I, I that that just took the cake for me yeah that i fell in love with that and you how often i don't know if that's ever i don't think that's ever been done before i don't know and it's such a simple story but the but you get just kind of caught up in that like you said that continuous scene man it was just like i couldn't stop watching it. it's the best way to film a hero's journey yeah because <laughs> it was oh, a God, journey yeah. a non-stop yeah. journey yeah yeah it that, yeah that's my number one 1917 yeah that was really good and you know, next week I'm I'm going to cover what everyone loves to hear: my top ten most disappointing movies of the last decade. Okay, and those are interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, it, it's uh, easier to hate than to love. That's sure. for sure. But, sure. Yeah. So the recount, re, recount here. Let's see: They shall not grow old. Shazam, Deadpool two, Thor Ragnarok, Doctor Strange, Captain America, mm-hmm. Guardian of the Galaxies Volume two, the first Avengers movie. Darkest Hour in 1917. So why Deadpool 2 and not Deadpool 1? Um, Deadpool 2, I like... Deadpool 1 had a lot of... Um, needed a lot of time to get to why, how he became right. the, the Deadpool character. And it was a little flat there, but, you know, it was it was full on Ryan Reynolds in that second okay. one. Right. Yeah, it was just nonstop. I, uh, I like the... In Deadpool... What does it for me is I can't think of the actor's name, but it's the guy that runs the bar that they all go to. Oh yeah, the sarcastic. Like, I can't think. TJ of his name something. Either. I think his name is. You're right. His 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 one liners is perform everything in Deadpool one is and he's good in Deadpool two, but he steals the show for me in one. He just he's fantastic. <laughs> you look like a topographical map of Utah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That yeah. guy's great. Yeah, there, there's so much sarcasm. <laughs> oh in my god, love it. Yeah. That's it. All right. So top 10 disappointing movies of the last decade. Next, next week. Next week, yeah. Excited. Yeah, yeah. It's fun. Stuff. Fun stuff. Fun stuff. Good way right. to end the decade. Well, let's get into it, man. We got some, some songs to get you to this Christmas day. And I think Jimmy's going to go first. Oh, I'm first. Okay. All right. Yeah, it's Christmas. And, and it's impossible for me not to do a Christmas song. I heard the song in the grocery store. A few weeks back, and I said, "This is the one I gotta do." I liked it as a kid, and I think it's stood the test of time. It's the um, it's one everyone has probably heard, I can't imagine has not heard. It's uh, you know, "Do They Know It's Christmas" by the artist Band Aid. It's it was a single. It was released uh, December third, nineteen eighty four. Uh, recorded at Sarm West Studios in the Notting Hill district of London. Uh, produced by Midjor and Trevor Horn, written by Bob Geldof and Midjor. Best-selling single of all time in Great Britain until it was knocked 
knocked to number two by Elton John's Candle in the Wind, 97, tribute to Princess Diana. The single uh, raised over um, two, 200 million pounds, equivalent to like $267 million uh, for Africa aid. Uh, reached number 13 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 the week of January 19, 1985, beaten out by Don Henley's Boys of Summer, oddly enough, for the middle of winter for the number 12 spot. Todd, can you guess? You know I love to play this. Todd, yes, you, can you guess what the number one song that week was? This is what year is it? This is the week of January 19, 1985. 19, January 1985. I'm going to... It feels like Billy Jean Michael Jackson. That is a little late. You're a little. You're okay. a couple of years late on that okay. one. Um, this uh, this song spent six weeks at number one before it was finally taken down by "I Want to Know What Love Is" by Foreigner. The first week of February, uh, you got to think of uh, the boats of Venice. Boats of Venice. Venice, Italy. What do they call them? Gondolas. Yeah. Gondolas. Gondolas. Gondola boats. It was a big part of the video promoting the song. Uh, Duran Duran, uh, Hunger Like the Wolf? No, there were no gondolas. They weren't in Venice. <laughs> Duran Duran? She was the hottest she, female artist in oh, the middle 80s. That Whitney Houston? She was white, she's the hottest white female artist of the Pat Benatar. She was the, in the middle 80s. <laughs> Bette Midler. The song is Like a Virgin by Madonna. Oh, my God. Number one song. All right. Um, so, um, so let's go into the timeline so of the song. I bet Midler was close. So let's go into the timeline of the song. <laughs> the spark that inspired the beginning of the song occurred the night of October 23rd, 1984. Bob Geldof was the lead singer of the band The Boomtown Rats at the time. Uh, now, The Boomtown, Boomtown Rats had a huge hit with the song I Don't Like Mondays which I talked about in the Judas Priest episode uh, we did. It was inspired by elementary school shooting caused by a 16-year-old in San Diego, California, who was quoted by a reporter when the reporter asked why she did it. The 16-year-old said, I don't like Monday. This livens up today. That shooting uh, is also why Judas Priest had to change the name of their 78 album because its release, unfortunately, timed perfectly with the news of that sad event. Um, in the U.S., you know, we talked about this. In the U.S., uh, the album is known as Hellbent for Leather. And in the rest of the world, the, the Jesus Priest album is known as Killing Machine. So Boomtown Rats had a number one hit, uh, I Don't Like Mondays, based on that incident. The popularity of Boomtown Rats in England landed Bob Geld off the lead role of the par- of the character Pink in the 1982 movie ad- adaptation of Pink Floyd's album The Wall. Um, so he was a huge b- pop star in that part of the world, but the years were passing by, and Boomtown Rats hits were drying up by the time we get to this, you know, October 23rd, 1984, and he's, you know, he's dealing with the fact that you know he's getting to get ready to be dropped by his record label, um, and. You know, he was at home uh, thinking about what his next move is going to be, you know, and watching TV, he caught a documentary called Biblical Famine on BBC television um, that night. It's created by a Kenyan cameraman, Mohammed Amin, and narrated by Michael Burke, a reporter for BBC. 
they go to a Red Cross camp, I believe, and it's overran with thousands of northern Ethiopian farmers who are really dying from one of the biggest famines in, in the country's history. Um, the moment really got Bob. <clears throat> the moment that really got Bob was an interview that they did with a 21-year-old nurse named Claire Bershinger. Uh, she had... She had limited resources, and so she, you know, basically had to decide, you know, which people would benefit and live and which ones were beyond hope. You know, she wanted her resources to be used as best they could. Right. Um, hey, by the yep, way. Yep. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. It, there's a good ending. There. Okay. There's All a right. good ending. Uh, yeah. Like, man, we just, we just went heavy. Well, you know. If you're gonna do a song like this, it's, it's true. That's it true. was for charity. There's a reason why it's for charity. Okay. You gotta give the backstory. All right. So and that's what Bob that's what got Bob Geldof really upset. Yeah. He said, Why is this young nurse having to make the decision who lives or dies? As Bob put it, you know, she's not picking three hundred people to live, she's picking five thousand to die. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Even the nurse was uh interviewed years later and said you know, he said he reminded her of a Nazi in a concentration camp who points out who gets saved and who gets Jeez. died. 21 years old, she's doing this. That's, that's literally what she was forced to do. She couldn't save them all. And la the landscape that, you know, Michael Burke caught was just full of families who were out there in desperation with no other option but this bleak hope that this small Red Cross camp could save them from starvation. So that was Bob Geldof's moment of clarity. He put all his personal problems aside, and he got to work with his uh, then-girlfriend, future wife, Polly Yates. You, you know who Polly Yates is, right? No. And she it's, became more famous later. Did she, is she the one that went to... Uh, she ended up having a kid with NXS, Michael Hutchins? That's right. Yeah, yeah, you got that right. Yeah, she, uh, like, dipped her wedding dress they were supposed to get married she like dyed it black and wore it to the funeral nice yeah i think she like a few years later she died from an overdose like she came oh, wow. really depressed you know like once say three years after he died she had that she died of a heroin overdose wow a really rough way to go but but at that time you know she was with uh bob geldoff uh now polly yates was the host of a british tv show the tube it's uh it's similar 80s similar to like the 80s version of mtv uh she's the one that arranged a phone call between midge your and bob the day that midge's band ultravox appeared on uh paula's show uh, it was november 2nd 1984 now ultravox was kind of on a winning streak of hit records at that time in england and australia and midge your was the front man um well-respected in the musical world, multi-platinum artist, not so big in America. I, I do remember there was a hit song on pop radio called uh, Vienna. Um, he, mm -hmm. If you heard it, you probably know just because yeah. we're about the same and, age. And did you say the phone call occurred in November? Correct. And the song was released or recorded in December? Correct. So like four weeks this thing... This huge project. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it came together it's really quick. quick. Yeah. Yeah, and this story is unbelievable. I, I mean, I'm 
getting ready to get in the hall. All of right, this. dig in. Um, I'll shut up. I talked about Midgeor, and a lot of people aren't familiar in with Midgeor in the United States. He, uh, at one time, he turned down Malcolm McLaren's offer to be lead singer of the Sex Pistols. He was a guitarist in the band Silk that had a number one hit in nineteen February nineteen seventy six. A song Forever and Ever. Uh, he co-wrote a Thin Lizzy favorite of mine from the Black Rose album called Get Out of Here and toured as a guitarist and keyboarder, keyboardist for the Thin Lizzy band in 1980. But his big, biggest success uh, came with the band Ultravox. And I mentioned the song Vienna, which I've, I've heard growing up uh, in the 80s there. <clears throat> um, so Midge, uh, the Bob Midge phone conversation happened after Ultravox's appearance on Paula's show I mentioned when Paula handed the phone to Midge and Bob convinced Midge they needed to, you know, come up with a song to help this cause. Um, he got together with Midge after, you know, he got, he returned to London and, you know, they started working out a song at Midge's place. They, they, they both knew they couldn't do a cover tune because half the profits would have to go back to the owners of the song. So Geldof had this guitar that looked, you know, it, it looked like it came out of a dump. It was missing strings and and such. And he starts improvising an idea for a song he has. You know, Midge was listening, cringing. Midge described it as Bob Dylan on Librium, which is like an anti-anxiety drug. It was just awful. But he had lyrics. And so Midge had to take these dark tone lyrics, um, sung horribly to an acoustic guitar and try to convert them into a pop song. Midge came up with some nice Christmassy hooks on his Casio keyboard. They ended up on the Finnish project and found a way to bridge his hooks to Bob's lyrics. Um, you know, Todd, you talked about the, you know, the contribution sampling has made in music history. Right. Well, the same can be applied here. Midge, um, took the drum tech drum track to the opening of the tier of a tears for fears, 1983 song to hurting, slowed it down and that's the drum track you hear awesome. to open this song so while midge was building the music around bob's lyrics bob was on the phone calling to find free studio time and convince phonogram records to, to distribute the record for free bob was also able to talk to the owners of sarm west studios to use the studio for free they gave him 24 hours sunday november 25th 1984 24 hours you got it for free, right? That's all we're giving you. So, you know, between seeing the BBC episode, talking to Midge, the entire time Bob is recruiting artists that he knows. He's multi platinum artists already. Yeah. He's got a lot of pull. So he's reached out to a lot of people to get them on board. But he didn't have like you know, when, where, how, yeah, any of just, that stuff. Pitching it as an idea. Once he got Midge on board, he knew he had um, he was going to be able to convince a lot of people to join on. So he he called back a lot of his famous friends. He'd already started recruiting to tell them, you know, that Sunday morning you need to get there to get the song done. Phil Collins recalled getting the call from Bob saying, this is what Phil said. There were no hellos, no, how are you doings? Just Phil, I need a famous drummer. No concern if he thought I was good or not, but that was famous. <laughs> Bob also reached out to Peter Blake, who, was famous for creating the Beatles Sgt. Pepper's album cover to get the artwork done for the sleeve. Uh, he gave uh, Mr. Blake two days time to come up with something, you know, something on the fly. And that's what you see on the single, gave right. him two days. 
And, of course, a lot of artists were skeptical of Bob when they got that call. Bono, in particular, said, this is Bono talking, he said he was the last person in the world to be talking about this kind of thing. I think he's one of the greatest rock and roll stars in the world, but the idea of passing a plate is not something I associate with him. U2 drummer Larry Mullen added that it was odd, and he thought there had to be something in it for Geldof. And actually, Bob Geldof admitted only three people turned him down. He's, he wouldn't say who they were out of respect, but that's a pretty good batting average considering you got you know around 40 famous people to donate right, yeah. free time. Pretty yeah. good ratio. Yeah, so he's a no-nonsense guy, and he – He's got the gift of gab. Yeah. It, it seemed like everybody said that about Bob. It's just, you can't say no to the guy. Yeah. He's just, he, he's just, this is something about him. But Midjor was concerned about, you know, who was going to show up on that scheduled day. I mean, it was, they weren't getting paid to be there. So he did arrange ahead of time to uh, work out the vocals with Sting, who he's good friends with, uh, to, so just so they'll have something to fall back on, right? In yeah, case, backup plan. Yeah, you know, in case people don't show up. And and actually, Bob had originally set it up that it was going to be Sting and Simon Laban of uh, Duran Duran. Mm-hmm. That's how Simon Lebron was sold on the idea. And Simon admitted being pretty pissed to discover, you know, to discover it, it was going to be this cavalcade of stars when he arrived that Sunday morning. Oh man! So he got Bob and Midge literally standing outside the studio on the sidewalk that on that early Sunday morning with cameraman and news team waiting to see who would show up. And fortunately by 10 AM people started to arrive at sting banana rama spandau ballet, the rest of boomtown rats, Paul young Bono and Adam Clayton of U2 Duran Duran cool and the gang was touring nice. in England. They showed up Jody Watley, George Michael of wham, a favorite of yours, uh, Michael Rossi and Rick Parfit from status quo. In fact, uh, have you ever seen that video for the song? Yeah, we're all singing. It's been a long time. It's yeah. been a long time. Well, if you if you watch that video, you'll see Francis Rossi um, standing behind the chorus, uh, wiggling his hands, um, and then looking up at the camera and smiling, and pointing at the camera. Francis admitted he was checking out Jody Watley's uh, backside, her dimensions, uh-huh. and was embarrassed to get caught. You know, doing nice. that. Uh, on camera and that, and that shows up on that video. I always wondered what was going on there with him. Uh, most of the artists, um, you know, when they arrived, they haven't even heard the song, uh, Bono questions. And Bono said, you know, if he's heathens really knew what was going on in Africa, but realized it didn't matter because, you know, they, they had the fame to sell records and that was more important. And the artist knew it was good publicity for their careers. Right. The only one who was late to the recording uh, was Bore George of the band Culture Club. Right. They didn't realize he, was, he wasn't there, and they found out that he was in New York. He had a show at Madison Square Garden. Culture Club is huge in 1984. Sure, yeah. So he had to get on the phone in New York, 4 a.m. New York time, to wake him up and get him to the airport and uh, you know get on a Concord and get to London to uh, record his part. That wasn't the only hang up with the recording of this. Uh, the opening verse was meant for David Bowie, but Bowie couldn't show or they just couldn't get in touch with him. So uh, they elected Paul Young, you know, every time you go away, you take a little piece yep. of me, it was a hit, uh, to to do those lines because his voice was the closest they could get to David Bowie. Francis and Rick from Status Quo had to be cut. Rick in particular wasn't hitting a note, probably because, as he admitted, was biting the hair of the dog at bit him that morning. Is very hungover that morning. Uh, 
Um, and Bono had issues with his line. Well, thank God, you know, it's them instead of you. Well, tonight, thank God it's him instead of you. He, he, he confronted Geldof thinking it was such a bitter line to have in there. It right. just seemed so pompous. And that was one of the criticisms that a lot of people have with this song was that line. But, you know, Midge and Bob sold it. You know, we're not saying rather them than rather them than us. We're saying how lucky we are that we don't have to deal with that kind of extreme poverty. Yeah, it's the perspective. Perspective. So Midge and Bob, once they explained it, Bono got it, and that's how he... And that's how it got Bono to well out like he did. Bono admitted that moment changed his life, you know, for better or for worse, to be more, you know, to give more toward, you know, charity and causes um, and make him even more famous so that, as an Yeah, individual. that was my question. So this is kind of the start of him kind of going down that road? Yeah. He, okay. He's going from, from being a rock star to being, you know, starting to get involved in Amnesty International. Yeah, I was and, he's very involved in things. Yeah, yeah, he's got... You know, he at one time he said he had Nelson Mandela and President Bush on speed dial, because he was always you know right. one of those uh, ambassadors. So uh, the guys from Culture Club finally arrived at six p.m. London time to do to do the vocals. George to do his vocals for the day. Uh, I read where bored George's first words to Bob was, "I need a drink," and <laughs> Geldof said, "There's a f and pub across the road, you cunt." Nice. <laughs> Which immediately got George's mind right for the recording. He still got someone to go out and give him a bottle of brandy to, to you know, to, to juice while he was recording his part. Yeah. But the highlight of the day, Mitch said, was having everyone sing, you know, feed the world, let let them know. That choir. Yeah, the choir moment. Yeah. You know, it, Mitch said 24 hours before that moment, that hook wasn't even written. Wow. Geldof kept saying that day, we need to end it with a, course of vocals like like john yoko's song happy christmas war is over and that's what they decided decided to do that's what they came up with so all the vocals were done midge and you know everyone in the studios had to kick everybody out because no one was leaving they were having a great time recording right, yeah. the song Just so hanging out he said listen guys i'm gonna be up all night because we only got 24 hours to do this you guys all got to leave kicked them all out and and they stayed behind to uh you know fix finish the mix and get it ready for pressing. If he didn't have it ready the next morning, it wouldn't be out before Christmas. So the pressure was on. Right. Get it all yeah, wrapped this up. Is all everything deadline driven. So when they finished, um, Bob Geldof took a cassette and headed down to, you know, some was coming up. Uh, headed, he headed over to the radio one breakfast show with that cassette later that morning to play the song and promote the campaign that band aid was on. They did get in touch with David Bowie, and he and later that week he went on television for the video premiere, and to beg everyone to go out and buy the single, whether they liked it or not, to give to the cause. Of course, it became the fastest selling record to hit a million units in sales. Eventually, got over three million in sales in UK alone. Bob Geldof had a spat with the government, who wanted to cl- collect the bat on the sales, the value added tax, mm-hmm. and Geldof actually got the opportunity to confront Margaret Thatcher on the issue in front of the news cameras at some social gala. I forget exactly where it happened and really laid it into her, you know? Sure. And she tried to defend it that, you know, this is to help our people too. And, you know, the general idea of that taxes, but government had to cave in on that one because of, you know, the, the backlash. Oh yes. Yeah. That's, that's, so they basically donated what they collected and gave it back. 
And, of course, that song sparked a movement. The uh, United States responded with their version, We Are the World, which was released you know, on March 7th, 85. Uh, Bob Geldof orchestrated the Live Aid concerts in London and Philadelphia on July 13th, 85. Neil Young, Willie Nelson, John Mellencamp started. Todd? Farm Aid. Farm Aid. Uh, uh, the campaign began Champaign, Illinois, September 22nd, 1985. Little Stevie Van Zant of E Street Band fame organized Artists Against Apartheid, which is you know basically race discrimination in yep. South Africa, to record "Ain't Gonna Play Sun City." It was released October twenty fifth, nineteen eighty five. The heavy metal responded with Hearing song "Stars." Oh my god, I've forgotten about that. The stars, yeah, came out January first, nineteen eighty six. Ronnie James Dio wow. uh, uh, headlined that one. And even the Chicago Bears song, The Super Bowl Shuffle, released December 3rd, 1985, raised over $300,000 for local Chicago charities. Nice. Yeah, so there was just a wave of charity going on in that year. Uh, it was such a good time to be a, you know, I, you know, I was, well, no, I was 14, 15. 14, 15, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, we were there for all that. It was, it was so cool, especially Live Aid. You know, you got to see Sabbath, United, right. you, you know, Led Zeppelin. Zeppelin, yeah. Yeah, even though have you ever? That was such an awful. No, I've never. That, I think that Led Zeppelin performance was the reason why Robert Plant decided no, this is never going to happen. Yeah, because it was so bad. It mm. was bad, and they pointed fingers. I mean, were, Jimmy Page is blaming Phil Collins. Phil Collins is blaming Tony Thompson because there were two drummers up there. Right. It was just they did not rehearse. You could tell they didn't. So a magical moment in clarity, but like all charities, it came with controversy with where the money goes. Uh, George Harrison worked with Bob Geldof on what not to do following the charity concert um, that he did for Bangladesh uh, back in 71. And even the reporter Michael Burke from the BBC episode that sparked all of this said, it's a nice song, but do they know it's Christmas? Well, they know it's not Christmas. Ethiopia celebrates Christmas January 7th because they follow the Julian calendar, not the Gregorian calendar. I think there's 14 countries in the world that are two weeks behind celebrating the holiday. Um, so, Is that just Christmas or like all holidays? Everything's behind. Okay. Yeah, rarely do the – I think one time New Year's Day was actually January 1st just because of the way the Julian calendar is set up. What about Cinco de Mayo? How do they account for that? Well, Mexico, there's not, nothing in the Western world that celebrates that. Gotcha. So, okay. I think they might hear about it on the news. So we're still good with May 5th? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Just, yeah. Just making sure. Yeah. But, yeah, it was a lot of drama there uh, trying to get that song together. So much pressure to get that done in one day. And That's to get crazy it organized. how quickly that uh, – yeah, that whole story of idea to getting it together to recording. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. I, hey, hats off to Bob Geldof because it takes somebody with a lot of stern to get that organized. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, it sounds like that documentary you watched was pretty impactful and, you know. Oh, it was awful. You it was awful. You want to believe that he's doing it for all the right reasons. Hopefully there was none of the, if I do this, it'll help throw me back in the spotlight kind of thing. Hopefully it was for all the right reasons, but we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Well, it, unless you report contradictory. Well, there's, I mean, there's a lot to why a famine like that happens. I mean, it's more than yeah. just environmental. You got, um, you know, you got a government that's, um, you know, almost, um, you know, you know, not communist, but dictatorship. Yeah. Uh, they, they are, um, 
controlling how you know Who aid gets, gets to the people yeah. you know and uh and you know you need you really need a you know, a, a, you know, a health system in place is going to take more than a lump sum of money you sure. know, to get a, you know, a, a real good solid health system involved uh, to keep, uh, you know, stuff from like that happening. I mean, you know, a lump sum is nice, but it has to be a total change. But uh, when it runs out, it runs in out. politics. Yeah. Yeah. You so. don't do the right thing with it. it but you can't, can't fault uh, Bob Geldof for trying Sure. Yeah, you, you can only do so much, but if you can, I, you know, it's a fantastic story. That's that's my song. Do you know if if that organization for that relief was it just a one time thing or was it an ongoing thing? Is it still going on today? It's still going today. You got the it's you know they got the World Development Movement. Um, it's still out there, you know, pushing for uh, you know to help the famished uh, gotcha. parts of the world. You got the world. You know, Vision Hunger Relief Fund. You know, that's still out there doing it. Okay. You know, there's many, uh, you know, not sure. for profit uh, organizations okay. out there still yeah. helping the the ones in need. And then Bob Geldof also he's responsible for Live Aid, right? He's the one who organized Live Aid. In fact, he was when they it was after the oh, what's the musical Academy Awards or Grammys. Grammys, yeah, it was, that's the night they got all the artists together to do "We Are the World." Okay, they were all there, and he said, "We're going to do this after the show." Right, and they were, you know, so and he he showed up, and that's where he announced that you know we're going to do a live aid. Okay, and um, there's and that or organizing that thing was a whole different story. Have you watched that Queen movie? I have not. I've heard about it. I have not watched it. Man, I will tell you what, and I went and saw it at the theater. And it's a it's it's a fun movie, you know, for the history of the band and how they came together. But you know, the last I don't know twenty thirty minutes of the movie is the whole Live Aid performance. Okay, which was the best part of Live Aid? Which was the best part of Live Aid? When I saw it at the theater, when I watched it, when it was on whatever movie channel it was on, I've watched it. I saw it at the theater once, and I probably watched it two or three times, just on TV. I tear up. It is emotional. Really? Oh my God. I don't know what it is. It is just It takes you back to when you first when you were watching it. I don't know if it I don't know if it takes me back. I don't know if it's because it's you know where it is in the part of the story of Freddie Mercury. It is just it is just a ridiculously emotional and and, you know, and made I d I can't explain it, but it is just very emotional for me. I love Hmm. watching it. I think it's it's fantastic to watch, but man, every time I do but it, didn't like, he win the Academy Award for Best Actor? He might have. Yeah. I think he did. He might have. He did a great job on. It. But just God, watch it. If you're not seeing it, man, just watch. Just for that, it's just it's. I loved it. Well, I, I do. I remember watching it actually in 1985 yeah, yeah, yeah. when they were on stage, and I was like, "My God, yeah. Queen is the best fucking band." Oh, it was ridiculous. I've ever I mean, seen owning a crowd. Yeah. Own in a crowd. Yeah, it was ridiculous. fantastic. I'll never forget that performance. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool as shit. All right. There you go. Um, do they know it's Christmas? Well, they know it. Christmas is not December 25th. It's <laughs> January 7th in okay. Ethiopia. All right. Good story. Thank you. I like that. All right. What you uh, got? My my Christmas Day song, I opted to not go with a Christmas <laughs> day. A, a traditional Christmas song. Right. This is a song that's been on my list for a while. And it, I don't know, just kind of trying to figure out what I was going to do today. I was like, you know. What do, what do you do on Christmas? You 
typical Christmas, you go see family, you go see friends, you know, friends, get together, celebrate gifts, all that stuff. But at some point, and I don't know if it's everybody's Christmas, probably not, but there's probably a good portion of Christmas Day celebrations that involve drinking. Absolutely. Even the Christmas vacation, you know, Chevy Chase's dad said, you know, he got through it on yeah. with Jack Daniels. Yep. And, you know, it's, I remember, I don't, you know, having the, the little rum cake treats or whatever. It's like a little, I don't want to call Yulog? it. No, I don't want to call it a pastry <laughs> log. No, it's like a little dessert kind of cake thing that has rum in it. I remember eating never, those as a never kid. Never was a part of my oh, family. Man. Yeah. Eating those little cakes as a kid and you could taste the rum in it. And, I, you know, I'm assuming the alcohol was all burned out during the cooking process, but more than likely, but man, it was such a thrill just to be in the doll. Holy shit. I'm eating a dessert with big booze in it. Yeah. Yeah. Big boy desserts. And then, you know, it's just sitting around celebrating. There's always, it seems like in big gatherings, there's always alcohol and drinks involved. So my song this week is by, uh, Willie Nelson. It's called, I got to get drunk. Nice song. And it's uh, from the 1970 Both Sides Now record. Wow, it's that old, huh? Yeah. Wow, okay. Crazy. Uh, So a little bit about Willie Nelson. Uh, For those of you that are not familiar with him, the uh, To All the Girls I've Loved Before with Julio Iglesias, he's the other guy. That's that's the song you're going to start with? That's what I'm starting with. That's (laughs) what I'm going with. (laughs) Willie Nelson can be described, uh, I'm going to call him a national treasure. Uh, I'm going to call him uh, Outlaw Country. I'm going to say that he smokes pot. I'm going to say that he was instrumental in the Farm Aid movement that we just discussed. I'm also going to mention that he probably does not care much for the IRS. Uh, He's given enough to him. He has. And we're just kind of looking through some stuff. Uh, One of the notes I found is when all that was going on, the IRS was coming to take his stuff. His guitar that he's named Trigger. I mean, went into hiding so that they wouldn't take it. The one that he still plays today, yeah. he's got that hole. In uh-huh. It. Oh, I'll be there. Yeah. I mean, okay. he was so worried they were going to take it. And I think the quote was, I think he told his daughter that if they take his guitar, he's he's done playing. Oh, yeah. And so it went to her, and then it went, I mean, it it changed locations like five times, I think. Good Lord. It's just like to a, keep the IRS from taking it. It's like Nazis invaded Paris. Insane. Huh? Willie Nelson wrote his first song at the age of seven. Joined his first band at the age of 10. So yeah. Been doing it for quite a while. He's had some uh, successful writing endeavors. The song Hello Walls by Farron Young. Oh, he wrote that. Yeah. That's a great song. That's a great song. And then probably the better well-known one, that Crazy by Patsy Cline. I, I love the story on that because uh, he said the original title was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Probably worked out better that he changed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll think Patsy would put up with that. So the song I Gotta Get Drunk, written uh, 1960, wrote it in Houston before he moved to Nashville. Uh, spent some time in Nashville. Things didn't work out the way I think he wanted them to. Ended up moving back to Texas. There's some very clean-cut pictures of Willie. Oh, yeah. His time in Nashville. Yep. So wrote the song in 1960 before he moved uh, before he moved to Nashville. It was actually, the song was actually released by Joe Carson in 1963. And then just, I'm jumping all over the place because there's so much about Willie. I mean, you could spend all day. So I just kind of really tried to tighten up as much as I could here. The Starting in 1962, Willie Nelson releases 
Are you ready for this ridiculous? And I think we've touched on it before, but this is this is an album. This is ridiculous. Okay. Since 1962, he has released 95 studio albums. Has anyone come close to that? Oh, I'm not done. Okay. 13 live albums. Okay. And two soundtracks. Honeysuckle Rose, and oh, Tron, Tron Legacy. No. <laughs> what was that? Do you know that? Oh, one? I, uh, Honeysuckle Rose was one. I can't remember what the other one was. It was it was one of the movies he was in. Yeah. He was a movie star too. Um, it's not Redhead Stranger. No, what movie is that? We'll look that up. We'll look that up. And then, like I said, man, there is so much to Willie Nelson to just sit down and write a report on it. Is now, I don't, if you don't know who Willie Nelson is, right. you're, not a, you're not a real American. It's, I don't know how you got he, through life without knowing who Willie yeah, Nelson that's, is. And that's kind of the, the approach I took. Like I said, I, yeah. it was just, you know, just kind of picked out kind of the interesting things to me. And, the, you know, you can go look up Willie Nelson and I'm sure his story's out there. Go read it. I'm sure it's fantastic. Oh, just listen to him talk. Yeah, exactly. I, I, if I could, if I could spend one night with, you know, have a dinner, right. just, or just sitting at a bar with somebody, yeah. Willie Nelson, because that guy is loaded with stories. Loaded with stories. You don't have to say a Tells word. it like it is. Those are no my nonsense. favorite kind of people. Yeah, exactly. The guy got to get drunk was on this record. There was another song on there. I, I thought I wrote it down, but I must not have. But one of the, one of the quotes, Willie said, talking about these songs, he says, I was a lousy drunk, a foolish drunk, a fighting drunk, but I was caught up in the culture. That's what country singers do, right? Hey, and that brought out a lot of great songs. Oh, it did. Certainly did. Things about this song that I dig. My favorite part of the song is, crazy as it sounds at the beginning there's that little guitar thing and he opens up with well i love that well yeah i love that <laughs> it's it's like it, to me that's a sit down i'm getting ready to tell you a story great sing-along song it's got a great story that's easy to follow it just <laughs> it's not too complicated about it's it. not very complicated and it's something that we can probably all uh all relate with in in yeah, some yeah. sense whether it be personal or to somebody in association but I just, I love the lines of the song. I got to get drunk and I sure do dread it because I know just what I'm going to do. I'm going to spend my money calling everybody honey and wind up singing the blues. I'll spend my whole paycheck on some old wreck and brother, I can name you a few. Well, I got to get drunk and I sure do dread it because I know just what I'm going to do. It's a good blues. There's just so much honesty in that. Yeah. I mean, it is just no nonsense. Sh- no nonsense shame. It's like, yeah. dude, I, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to spend all my money. I'm going to wake up tomorrow pissed that I did it. It's just, I don't know. The, the, the way it's written, it's perfect. Overall, it's a fun song top to bottom. And something I suggested to uh, a friend of mine who doesn't know the podcast, but it's a, for me, this is a great, you walk in a bar, you see a jukebox. This is a great song to play. Great perfect jukebox setter. Yeah, perfect mood. And that's setter. all you want from Willie. You, know, you go to you listen to Willie Nelson. You're wanting to relax, unwind, and have a good time. Yep. The last thing I'll say about it, as far as a playlist, man, anytime a good time's to be had, most likely after a few drinks and just getting to sing along, just getting your sing along voice loosened up. This song's part. I, there, there's not a. It's just a fun song. Anytime this song comes on, I sing along to it. I have a great time with it. It's there, just, it it's reminds fun. me of his other song, "Turn Out the Lights, The Party's Over." 
the lyrics are the same kind of right yeah i don't know if you ever seen the lyrics of that song uh-uh. i know dom meredith always sung it on monday night football but i mean the story's about you know yeah, I, I had a, I had a love undying, you know. It never had to worry about anything, but you know, I, life to me was just a one party and then another. You know, I had to. I think the line was, "I had to have my party wine." Broke her heart so many times, and then finally she said, "You know, honey, the party's over." You right. Know? It's the same kind of mentality. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, there's bad stuff happening, but you know what? It's gonna be okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. So that's my song. That's my Christmas song. Is uh. I Gotta Get Drunk by Willie Nelson. Now, what are you going to get drunk to today on Christmas Day? Now, my, mom, my mom and dad loved amarettos. Okay. Amaretto sours. Right. That was their that kind was of their... Christmas thing. Even mom, who didn't drink, would she loved to have a little amaretto. Okay. okay. Yeah. I'm a tequila guy. So tequila on Christmas, you know, but it's that's that almost seems too harsh. I mean, for me, Christmas is kind of a, a, a you want to ease into it. You're not, it's not Saturday night after the game tailgating shit. You know what? I got some Uncle Mike's homemade wine. There you go, Uncle. Yeah, nothing, on a cold winter's day, nothing beats some homemade wine <laughs> that just fucking hurts when you sip it. I mean, every every sip of it just burns. That don't sound uh, it, you Christmassy. Know, it's 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 not, <laughs> but you know, it's it's homemade. It's family. Gotcha. That feels right. Cause it, okay. You know, beer's probably okay too. Beer's probably kind of the the sting. You know, like I said, because family could sting and burn too. Yes. Okay. That's, All right. I that's got true. you. All right. It goes right with the flow way. of that. It, that's what feels right. So a glass of Uncle Mike's homemade wine. Right on. Powerful stuff shit <laughs> you ain't lying brother okay it don't take much all right uncle mike knows what's up yeah good deal all right so, good so that's it that's that's the big christmas episode yeah it's hard to believe christmas it's, yeah this has been insane 2020 is coming to the end that's all matters i hope so. uh, my niece got uh vaccinated oh really Did, uh yeah, this past week. Okay. She works at the hospital. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, in fact, the day I had uh, my colonoscopy, yeah. um, they were starting to issue those uh, vaccinations. So, okay. Did yeah. she say anything about it? No. Just I mean, nothing. So far, so good? So far, so good. No she's adverse not, side effects? No, she's not, you know, she hasn't turned into a zombie or start okay. climbing the walls okay. or anything. So I was listening to something the other day, and it was, you know, speculation on this vaccine thing and you know not knowing the long-term effects of this it was interesting the the concept was interesting that we're giving it to all of our health care health care workers if we come to find out that oh yeah yeah right. <laughs> hey this thing goes south at you know three four months down the road and you know all we of have, our health care we have just getting dead. rid of all of our health care workers yeah so what now yeah so what now exactly yeah yeah i've heard that too uh, i just thought that was an interesting theory that yeah oh yeah but i'm sure it's all going to be fine and i'm looking forward absolutely to, to everybody <laughs> getting whether you believe in it or not just kind of getting to a point where you don't have to be for me, it's not being scared of getting it. I obviously don't want to get it. My concern is just getting it and give it to somebody that and being has the reason it, has, why they're sick. Ha, well, and, and not necessarily that, but has it and it, you know, they turn into one of those ventilators or God forbid, passing away. Right. You know, so that's my fear. I guess oh, yeah. my greatest fear. We're all, so. 
You're not saying anything I haven't said. I know, I know. But all right, well that's it. Merry Christmas, y'all. Merry Christmas. Back next next week for the big New Year's Eve episode. God bless you.